Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted to be with you. We have a primary election coming up, and because of that, I thought it would be good to check in with our good friend and uh, source of great uh, wisdom, uh, a fellow by the name of Brad Crone, who is president of Campaign Connections and is a political strategist by by the very nature of that uh, that position. And so, Brad, uh, you always make things simple for us to understand and, and bring us great wisdom. So delighted to have you with us again this week, and especially with the primary election coming up. Thank you, Don. It's a real pleasure. Uh, funny story. We were doing some polling work uh, a week ago here in North Carolina, and uh, we called a, a voter down in Fayetteville, and she uh, – basic line was if the election were held today and the candidates for president were Donald Trump or Joe Biden, for whom would you vote? There was a long pause and she said, sir, do we really have to have an election this year? (laughs) (laughs) That is sort of the situation we're in. We are in sad trouble when our major choices are Joe Biden and Donald Trump. How that and, and you know the interesting thing about that, Brad, is that is universal with uh, supporters of both candidates. Both many of the supporters of Biden and many of the supporters of Trump are saying, "I just wish there was a third choice." Absolutely, and there may be a third choice. You know, Kennedy may get some traction, or the low labels folks, and I don't know if the Ford party. But I will say, as we proceed out of this election. I think there'll be some sustainable growth for a third party to develop because our parties are broken when out of a country of almost 250 million people that are, we have bad choices on both sides of the aisle. When did that all sort of end, Brad? When did, when did, and how did that happen? How did that change occur where we got away from the, especially on the, the national level, from the true selection of a candidate from the political conventions? I think it really solidified in the early 70s after 72. And there were two big players in from North Carolina who helped rewrite the rules for the Democratic Party, and that was Jim Hunt and David Price. And they wanted to give the delegates more power Uh, through the primary process rather than having insiders in the party uh, go to the conventions and have brokered conventions. And that was the thought process behind it. Um, And, you know, we see it on both sides of the aisle. Uh, Today, I just think the, the whole primary system is broken in the sense that uh, candidates in either party, whether it's Nikki Haley or or Dean Phillips, uh, are, are finding it really difficult to get traction within their own parties. And that is more indication, Don, I believe, of the polarization that we're seeing on both sides. Well, so, I was getting ready to say one of the things that has occurred as people have found a source of becoming registered on affiliates or independents, whichever you would like to call it. More and more people who are sort of in the middle of both parties have several left the parties. And so they have left uh, what they have left is the extreme right and the Republican or the right, not the right and the extreme right and the left and the extreme left in the Democratic Party. 
Correct. And so the folks running down the middle of the road who I, I usually call your main streeters or your chamber of commerce crowd, they are just left out in the wings right now trying to figure out what in the world is going on with our country and trying to navigate the politics of running a business, helping fuel an economy and having to dodge the, the different bullets from either side of the political spectrum. So it may be a phase we're going through. I don't know, uh, but I will say this. If the parties continue to do this, there will be fertile ground for third party to come out, whether it's the forward party, whether it's no no labels, whether it's uh, Robert Kennedy's group. We'll just have to wait and see how that develops. Well, it's, it's certainly an interesting situation. And let me ask you this, uh, because we had John Hood on about two or four or five weeks ago, and he said he thought there was a 50-50 chance that one of the two candidates, either Biden or uh, Trump, might not be on the election come November. Do you think there's still time for a change, or is it set in concrete that we are going to see Biden on the Democratic side and Trump on the Republican side uh, as far as the choices? No, I totally agree with with John. I, I mean, there is I, I would agree with his assessment in the sense that anything can happen. Trump could get convicted of a felony and that could have severe ramifications, I believe. Uh, Biden, we could end up wake up one morning and he has slipped away and has left us. I mean, Biden is just showing his age so much. It's just scary. Well, of course, the other thing that is kind of interesting recently, too, there are those who are beginning to think that maybe Trump is also showing his age because both of them are not spring chickens. I mean, there's only a couple of years difference between their ages. That's that's totally true. And the, the acuity of both of them is, you know, really, really questioned. Um, and that goes back again to, you know, surely we can find some body in their late 40s, early 50s who can help govern the country. The The big question on the age factor for both candidates, Don, is what impact does that have with younger voters? Your 18 to 25, your 25 to 40-year-old voters, they, and, and the data that I have seen, are just totally disgusted and are saying possibly, you know, we may sit this one out. And, and that may be detrimental to Biden, more so than it is with, um, more so than it is with Donald Trump. Looking at the Trump support, how much of do you believe the Trump support is due to his policies and not his personality, and how much is due to the personality aspect that will just follow you no matter what? That is, I think the personality factor is really important. Um, the, you know, Trump's constituency, they're willing to burn the house down. And a lot of times they're willing to burn the house down because they don't, they don't, they don't own a house and, uh, they just want to totally create chaos and disrupt. And that signals to me a disconnect that they have from government, whether it's at the federal level, state level, or even at the local level. You're seeing that idea of chaos and disruption, even down to some of the school board levels. Uh, so 
they are willing to use language of locking up a political opponent. They use language saying we're at war, we're in a culture war. And so they are very concerned about what I would call uh, your middle class privilege, uh, primarily Caucasian and white, losing power as the country continues to grow and and move more and more to a mixed uh, racial makeup in our country. So I, I think for Trump, it's a, a lot of it is based on his personality and that the willing he's that, you know, they see Trump willing to throw up the middle finger and just say that to everybody. And so that, that excites, that excites probably 33% to 40% of our voter base in the country. Do you think the continued uh, legal problems of president Trump are beginning to show some effect, uh, because at first it was a great fundraiser for him, and uh, it seemed to be a rallying uh, a rallying thing where he could rally his support around. I sense that perhaps some of those are now beginning to say, wait a minute, maybe there is something there. Yes, I totally agree with that statement. I just say that, that the man has no moral fiber or integrity in him whatsoever. And we've seen that dating all the way back in his business dealings um, that have been questionable, his bankruptcies in the casino business, his approach and attitudes toward uh, women. And I I just do not think that the man has any moral fiber, any redeeming moral fiber whatsoever. And at some point in time, that is going to catch up with you. And okay, now I'm going, to, I'm going to take the other. I'm going to defend the, those who are supporting him because they say that the and uh, they say that okay, I I, I agree. Uh, they agree with some of the things you said, but they also say that they believe the principles that he is espousing are more important. How do you answer that? Well, you've had several good candidates who have espoused the principles of principled conservative leadership within the Republican Party, Nikki Haley, uh, notwithstanding uh, the former governor uh, of Arkansas, Hutchinson. You've had uh, Chris Christie, you know, everybody who's dropped out of the race because they can't beat Trump because the, the, the extreme wing of the Republican Party is so far aligned with them. So you know, the thing that's interesting to me about the Republicans today, they've abdicated their conservative principles that were built upon the foundations of great men, great thinkers like Jesse Helm, Strom Thurmond, the Ronald Reagan, and uh, all the conservative movement that has been built. So, you know, the nationalist movement that they say is aligned with Trump uh, concerns me because I don't think there's any principle behind it. Well, it's it's interesting. And of course, uh, there there are many, many who are going to disagree with what you've said. And, and, and that's the reason that he is so close to at least 50-50. There are polls that say he's ahead. 
uh, and polls that say that Biden is ahead, but whatever the difference is, it's very slight. Well, wanna, uh, one of the things I want to question you about later on is I've seen polls about the national uh, attitude, but what about the key states? What about the electoral states that will actually choose the president of the United States? Our, so, our, our guest is Brad Crone. We've come to the end of this first session, but we will bring up this again in a future session today. But we also want to talk about the Council of State positions and the governor's race here in North Carolina. Our guest is Brad Crone, president of Campaign Connection. We're going to take a time out for these messages, and we'll be right back right after this. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. At four in the morning, my phone rang. They said, I regret to inform you that your husband was wounded in action. Victor sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. I was doing school full time, and I was also then caring for Victor. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. I just didn't want to forget that I also had goals and that I also had a life. What I did is I challenged Victor to meet me halfway. There are almost six million military and veteran caregivers across the nation. We have our own journey, and we can fulfill that journey at the same time that we are helping our loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> a heads up before something bad happens. You should not send that text. Uh-oh. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can reverse prediabetes and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. The galaxy is safe once again. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Brad Crone is our guest. And before Brad lost his good senses and good judgment, he was a uh, member of the staff of WPTF uh, and our new staff way back, uh, way back then. And then uh, he left to become uh, a special assistant to uh, Jim Graham and, and uh, deputy secretary to uh, Locke Faircloth as far as his press secretary and, and then in his career as a political strategist. And he has been with us a number of times. Brad, again, thank you for being with us. Let's, uh, before we get back to the national scene, let's take a quick look around the state of North Carolina and look at the governor's race. Uh, we have a primary coming up and you know, very shortly, right around the corner. It's coming a lot quicker than people might think. Uh, I'm, I'm, what are your forecasts as far as how that's going to come out? Well, uh on the Republican side, it's a spirited primary. The front runner in the race is the Lieutenant Governor, Mark Robinson. The state treasurer, 
Uh, Dale Falwell is mounting a challenge from, I would say, the center of the Republican Party. And then Bill Graham, a plaintiff's attorney, very successful plaintiff's attorney out of Salisbury, is also mounting a rather aggressive uh, advertising campaign on television, predominantly, uh, on on the race for governor. And uh, Robinson continues to show a lead there in the polling data. He has a strong base. It's been endorsed by Trump. Has has a very good grassroots organization. I know uh, the state treasurer has begun advertising across the state now. He too has a strong uh, grassroots organization, and it, it's going to be intriguing to watch. Bill Graham uh, ran for governor earlier in 2008, I believe, and uh, is running again. I'm perplexed sort of by his messaging on on China and then uh, there's some ads about supporting Israel and I I question uh, the thought process behind those communications because most voters here in North Carolina are going to be worried about what are you going to do about North Carolina so um, the Republican primary is interesting and Democratic Party primary there are two major candidates there Josh Stein, the Attorney General and former Associate Justice of the State Supreme Court, Mike Morgan. I've been working, I have known Mike since 1994, and I've been working on Mike's campaign. Uh, but with that said, he is he he got in the late in the race late. Um, Conan Morgan, who passed away, a Democratic consultant, had been working with Justice Morgan. And uh, that sort of delayed his entry into the race. They are very competitive. Stein has a huge cash cash advantage right now. Um, Stein's report came out earlier this week showing almost $11.9 million in the bank. That's compared to $3.5 million of money raised by the lieutenant governor. The Morgan campaign has raised probably about $150,000. So Mike's campaign is much more competitive. But with that said, the attorney general barely won his primary in 2016 when he was way outspent his primary opponent, Marcus Williams from Ellerby uh, down in in, uh, Rockingham and uh, Richmond County. So all bets are off. Both both campaigns on that race um, are getting a lot of endorsements from traditional Democratic groups. Um, So, for example, the attorney general received endorsement from the Durham committee, which is very influential uh, voter group in Durham County. Mike Morgan got the endorsement of the North Carolina Progressive Coalition within the Democratic Party. So it's sort of tit for tat with the Democrats there. If you would say who has an edge going into the primary, I think uh, Mike Morgan would agree that Josh probably has an edge going into the campaign cycle simply because of his fundraising advantage and the support that he's received from Governor Cooper. Um, so that's that's uh, sort of summarizes the governor's race, lieutenant governor's race. On the Republican side, you have Sheriff of Rockingham County, Sam Page, State Senator Deanna Ballard, and then Hal Weatherman, who's chief of staff for 
Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, and he was Chief of Staff for Sue Myrick. Those are the front-running candidates there. Again, I would say that is a total, complete toss-up at this point in time. And on the Democratic side, you have Rachel Hunt, who's the state senator from Mecklenburg County in Charlotte, who is Governor Jim Hunt's daughter. And then Ben Clark, who's a former state senator, a very prominent, successful businessman down in Fayetteville, who's running on the Democratic side. He's an African-American. And um, that race, uh, the Hunt organization is tough to beat, even though uh, Hunt's been out of office for 23 years. Uh, Jim Hunt's name still carries a lot, uh, a lot of weight in the Democratic Party. And Rachel has been able to capture that support and build on it. And I would clearly say Rachel Hunt's the front runner in the lieutenant governor's race on the Democratic side. And we've got uh, some very interesting Council of State positions open because they'll fall well, of course, is uh, relinquishing his job as state treasurer to run for governor. Uh, we have uh, the auditor's race that is open. Um, and of course, we'll have the attorney general's race open. Totally. The state auditor's race on the Republican side is going to be interesting with Jeff Tart, a former state senator, and then Dave Bolick Jr. Uh, from Fayetteville, who was chairman of the UNC Board of Trustees, uh, getting in the race. So um, that's going to be a really interesting dynamic to watch those two races there. On the state treasurer side, uh, for the Democrats, Wes Harris, uh, the nominee there for state treasurer, and then Mr. Uh, Dowd, I believe it is, for uh, the state treasurer's position. So that race will be interesting, too. We will have um, an interesting race for the labor commissioner's spot. Uh, there's a competitive primary there, John Hardister, uh, state representative from Greensboro would be the uh, likely front runner in that race. He is facing uh, a couple of people, Luke Farley, who's very active in the Republican Party and has been able to to raise some money and and get out and campaign. So Hardister's the front runner, but Luke Farley's probably. Um, going to give him a run for his money there in that race. Then the insurance commissioner's race on the Republican side's extremely interesting too. The uh, insurance commissioner, the first Republican to be insurance commissioner is Mike Causey from uh, Guilford County. And he's facing a pretty serious challenge from Andrew Marcus, who is an attorney from Chapel Hill and uh, Robert Brawley, who's a former state legislator from Mecklenburg County. That race is interesting simply because Causey created a ruckus last year in the legislature when he opposed the reorganization of the Blue Cross Blue Shield legislation and really didn't create a lot of friends in the legislature because of that. And, um, you know, paying the price for standing up for his principles uh, there. So, That'll be an intriguing primary to watch as well. The Brad, uh, because there's so much interest in the presidential race and the governor's race, uh, how do the Council of State positions get their message out? Because there's a lot of open positions, but 
there's only so much time that the potential voter has to make decisions, and there's a lot of races open. Well, used to, we had straight ballot ticket. So you could go in and you could sign up and, uh, you know, vote a straight ticket for the Democrats or vote a straight ticket for the Republicans. Legislature eliminated that in 2013. So, yes, voters now do have to do their homework and, and try and figure out. And that makes it uh, it makes it difficult for a council of state race because the council of state, for example, Steve Troxler, who's the commissioner of agriculture, may spend a couple hundred thousand dollars in a race. Uh, and he's got a Democratic opponent this time who's actually probably going to give him a decent run for his money. Saber Tabor, a um, farm consultant out of Fayetteville, North Carolina, running. And uh, it, it makes it it makes it difficult because most of the attention will be at the top of the ticket. There won't be a United States Senate race on the ballot this year. Voters will be able to pay attention. Uh, they'll they'll be able to get out and get the radio ads, get the digital ads, um, down ballot. The ability to buy television in uh, this state this year is probably going to be difficult for your candidates running down ballot. Well, one of the things that's coming up that's going to make uh, buying any time on any broad vision of broadcasting or either television or radio is the fact that sports betting is coming in about the same time. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but uh, there's going to be an initial surge of advertising for sports betting about the same time as the primary comes down the pike. And that will be um, uh, trying, everybody will be trying to buy the same amount of inventory. Absolutely. Totally. And uh, I think you'll see a surge uh, in advertising on sports book from your usual suspects there. And so that's going to make it tough for candidates like, uh, who are running for the state Supreme court, Don, even. You know, yeah, we have, we haven't even brought that up. I mean, that's, that's right. another list of candidates. So you got Jefferson Griffin, the Republican, who's a state court of appeals, just judge running for the open seat, uh, for state Supreme Court justice. And the Democrats are going to have an interesting primary there with Allison Riggs, who was the incumbent appointed by Roy Cooper, running against Laura Cubbage, who's a Superior Court judge, African-American. Really interesting story that she has. Uh, so that will be a uh, very interesting primary to watch there between Allison Riggs and, and Laura Cubbage. Well, it's it's there's a there's a lot to digest in the time. I think this is really slipping up on everybody. I, I just don't think people have focused on it uh, near as much, or at least that's the sense I get. People just haven't turned their attention to it, and yet we're what less than four weeks away. Totally, and the the you know we're for uh, for those of us who are old enough to remember, most of the time our primaries have always been in May. So the legislature moved our primary up to March so that we can be competitive with the Super Super Tuesday. So I think on Super Tuesday, there are going to be a number of states, both uh, I think California, North Carolina, I think Georgia will be involved. I can't remember if Nevada is voting on the 5th of, of March either, but there's going to be a whole clump of states voting. And that's why it, it sort of is catching people by surprise. 
The other interesting dynamic, Don, is that you really haven't seen a lot of advertising uh, either radio, television, or digital on the primary yet, but that will probably change early next week. Well, it changes, and of course, it becomes competitive with each other, and it, it becomes a blur. Uh, when all the candidates wait to the last minute, then I'm not sure how effective it can be because there's so much of it, and okay. uh, it, it, it becomes confusing again. Our time on this segment is about to wrap up. Brad Crone is our guest. He's the president of Campaign Connections. I want to talk about issues both on the state level and the federal level in the next segment. Uh, and we'll start that right after we take time out for these messages. Steven. Who said that? Me. Down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? <gasps> Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Brad Crone is our guest on Carolina Newsmakers this week. Very fitting because we have a primary election. I said less than four weeks. It's just a little bit more than that, I guess. I didn't look at my calendar when I made that statement, but it's coming up very quickly. And as we have already established, it may be surprising to folks to see that the election is so near and they're going to have a lot of decisions to make, not only in the presidential race, but also uh, the uh, uh, races for the council of state positions and the governor and the governor and lieutenant governor. Now, the way that North Carolina has uh, realigned their congressional districts, the congressional races are uh, pretty much set. Uh, and uh, there may be, are there any races there that you think might be competitive, uh, Brad? Well, the, the congressional district in uh, Guilford County, which is now the new 6th district where Kathy Manning is vacating her seat because she doesn't see it as a competitive race anymore. The Demo the Republican primary over there is just an absolute Donnybrook between Bo Hines, Mark Walker, Christian Castelli, uh, Mary Ann Const Constagonisis, uh, Jay Wagner, and then Addison McDowell. The Addison McDowell is a lobbyist in Raleigh, is making his first run into politics, has been endorsed by President Trump. Bo Hines 
I don't know. I reckon this is Bo's third run for Congress because, or second run, that he, he was in the western part of the state. He moved to Fuquay-Varina, ran against Wiley Nickel, and now he's moved to Greensboro. So he is moving districts to try and get into um, a congressional seat. Then Mark Walker probably is the dark horse in that race simply because he's held the seat before. He served for four years, had looked at running uh, for governor, ran for uh, Congress, ran for the United States Senate two years ago against Ted Budd, has a well-established political network there. And I truly believe that Mark Walker, it would not be surprising for us to wake up Wednesday morning, the March the 6th, and, and Mark Walker will have won that primary. Um, a very effective uh, retail politician, very well liked. He has a base too within the religious community because he's a retired minister. So, now, as I understand, race, as I understand, Brad, in the primary this time, you don't have to have a majority to be elected without a runoff. Correct. Correct. So, if you get, I believe the threshold is going to be forty percent in a competitive primary. Um, so that will be, you know, you you won't have to have fifty percent. The other race, Don, is down just east of Charlotte that runs from uh, southeastern Mecklenburg, the Ballantyne area, all the way down to Laurenburg, your old stomping grounds in Scotland County. And that race is the Dan Bishop congressional seat. He's running, of course, for attorney general. And um, you've got John uh, Bradford, who's a state legislator from Mecklenburg County, running in that race, you've got Mark Harris, who is the uh, pastor emeritus to First Baptist Church in Charlotte, running. And then you have Lee Brown, who is former North Carolina president of the North Carolina Realtors, a very prominent, successful businesswoman out of Mecklenburg County. So that no bets on that race whatsoever. There's no telling how that race is going to come out. All the major candidates are advertising and campaigning uh, very diligently uh, there. And then the last congressional race uh, that I'm, I think is going to be interesting is the, uh, well, I say that, I need to go back, the open seat where uh, North Carolina 14 is the Speaker of the House is running there in that race. And um, that is an interesting race. It, uh, the Speaker, Tim Moore, will likely win that race. Um, the North Carolina 10, which is Patrick McHenry's race that runs from Gastonia through Lincolnton all the way up to Catawba County. Uh, Pat Harrigan is running against Gray Mills there. And Pat's a former Green Beret Special Forces guy. Uh, Gray Mills is an attorney from Mooresville. That race, total complete toss-up. And then finally, uh, in North Carolina 13, which is Wiley Nichols' current seat, Wiley Nickel is vacating his seat again because it's trending Republican. And there, I, I, maybe 10 candidates are running. Uh, you've got Devan Barber. Uh, from Southern Johnston County in Benson. 
You have Leo Daltrey's daughter, Kelly Daltrey, a very successful agribusiness uh, woman out of Johnston County running. You have Fred Von Cannon, another successful businessman who can self-finance his campaign running. Um, no Brad Knott, and the Knotts are, are royalty for the Republicans in Eastern Wake County, J.T. Knott's grandson, and um, very successful landowners, uh, business people. So total complete toss-up. I, I would not call anybody a front-runner in that race at this point in time. Total complete toss-up. And I'll say this. Every single one of the, the candidates that I named, Brad Knott, Fred Von Cannon, Devan Barber, Kelly Daltrey, all very good people, salt of the earth people um, who are running for all the right reasons. So the, the good news on North Carolina 13, the voters of North Carolina, both Democrats and Republicans, whoever wins the Republican primary ends up serving, uh, will end up doing a very good job there. What are the issues that North Carolina voters look at when looking at the congressional seats? Uh, you know, you already mentioned that a couple of uh, the gubernatorial candidates are actually talking about federal issues with which they really don't have much control. But what are the issues? Uh, Im is, is immigration a big problem? Uh, what about the economy? What are the North Carolina issues? Well, I think, Don, immigration is a huge issue. And the Biden administration's abdicated all their responsibility on securing the southern border. And I don't understand, you know, last week the president was making noise about, well, I'm willing to close the border. Well, heck, that's four years after millions of people have crossed into the country. And, and yes, it impacts the border states, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, all in particular, and, and California. So I have applauded Governor Abbott's efforts to distribute some of the responsibility by sending uh, illegal immigrants to Chicago, to Philadelphia, to New York City, to Baltimore, let the, some of these liberal uh, Democrat politicians figure out that this is an important issue. It's a national crisis and it has to be addressed. With that said, both of the parties have not done their job on getting clarity when it comes to setting a national immigration policy. And it goes all the way back to George H.W. Uh, and George W. Bush. And the Clinton administration failed to get any type of consensus. Our presidential leadership on setting an agenda, George W. Bush came very, very close, but they couldn't close the deal. So well, we need presidential leadership when it comes to immigration. We need to set the rules and then hold people accountable to those rules. The other issue that I'm seeing that's beginning to perk up that's going to impact our economy is the federal deficit. And I know there's some economists out there who say we don't have to worry about the debt, but I don't believe that. I, I believe that the debt that's on the books is unsustainable. The spending that we have at the federal level is unsustainable. And I may not ever see it, but my nieces and nephews will pay the price for us running up the tab from 2000 all the way up to 2023 with a, a national spending of almost 30 
trillion dollars of deficit spending, fighting wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the war on terror, and uh, just spending money that we don't have. And I'm afraid- Interestingly enough, Brad, in that particular uh, arena, both parties are- Are guilty. Are guilty. That's right. That You know, both parties are saying something has to be done. Well, the, the conservatives are saying something has to be done about it, but they're not doing anything. Well, and, and so Trump's administration ran up the debt on national defense, and then we had COVID. So I, I'm, I just believe at some point in time, I, I don't know what will trigger the event, but I think that we will have a day of reckoning when it comes to our national debt. If we have another national crisis, do we see hyperinflation as a result? Do we, do we impact the stability of the dollar on the international market? We've seen what rising interest rates can do um, to impact uh, consumer habits. You know, what do we do to rein in national spending, and are we willing as a country collectively to tighten our belt? And Interestingly enough, a lot of the same issues that we are facing and putting off, China is already is already facing. Absolutely, and and here's the difference with China: there, we're sitting here getting ready to, you know, we're fighting a war in the Middle East. We're we're paying for a proxy war in Ukraine. And China is investing in Africa. And we are, you know, getting ready probably over the next few days to attack Iraq based uh, military forces in Jordan and in Syria. And China continues to work on growing an economy. So we as Americans will go chase uh, the rabbit. And uh, the Chinese are very much like the turtle in the race. They're slow and methodical and keep their eye on the ball. And we've got to realize that, that uh, Russia's a big country, but China's a major threat. Well, and, and the interesting thing, the difference between Russia and China is that Russia is definitely an enemy. China sometimes agrees with us. Right, right. And and we can do business with China. Yeah. You can do business with. The other uh, issue I think voters are really are going to focus on, there'll be two others, the economy, of course. You know, how are we moving uh, over to a, a service economy and an information cons- consumer economy? Um, so I... I laugh about the people saying we're in a service economy. I went to a restaurant in Cameron Village uh, earlier this week and was going to order a hamburger and nobody would take the order at the counter. You had to go to a kiosk and order off order off an iPad to get your get your sandwich. And I would laugh to say there's no service in our service economy. Uh, but economic concerns clearly and then cultural issues I think uh, women's reproductive health uh, and the abortion issues just going to be uh, really paramount, in particular for the Democrats, to say that we want to provide access to women voters. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week, Don, that talked about the m- movement afoot with the pro-life f- supporters uh, taking steps to really 
work with the Trump administration if he's elected president and really shut down and curb access for abortions. So the culture war will play a really important part. And does the, the big question, I think, will the culture war translate down to the state level? And I believe that it will. Well, lots of issues and lots of uh, conflicting opinions. Uh, some people are faced with, I, I believe this on one hand, and I believe that on the other hand, and one candidate has position I like uh, on each of the issues that are separate. And so they're going to, have to choose between. Our guest is Brad Cron. Uh, I, I'll explain that later on. Our guest is uh, Brad Cron, president of Campaign Connections, and we'll be back with one final segment. And we want to talk about artificial intelligence in that segment. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. They are our cuddlers and co-workers, purr machines and love bugs, and constant companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life so much better. When we face unexpected challenges in life, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people who love their pets and the pets who love their people. Ensuring these families stay exactly where they belong, together. And you have something to offer. With an open heart and mind, there is nothing you can't do. There's no gesture too small or too big when it comes to helping. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. You can help keep pets and people together. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. With our guest, Brad Crone, I'm Don Curtis, and we're back with Carolina Newsmakers, and we're talking about the upcoming primary election. We've covered a lot of topics. We've left a lot unreached as far as time because we can't cover everything. One of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit, uh, Brad, is sort of a, not only this election, but the future elections, and that's the impact of artificial intelligence. And uh, there are two issues here. One is I'm not sure that anybody uh, is going to bring this up as a campaign issue because I'm not sure anybody has any idea how to control it. And if they did, I'm not sure the public understands it well enough for it to be an issue. But I believe it's a serious issue, and uh, it's going to have to be uh, uh, addressed. Now, that's issue number one. Issue number two is how does it affect actual campaigning when you can create a voice that sounds just like a candidate and can put words in their mouth? It's a real serious problem, Don. It truly is a very serious problem, and I never thought – that you would live, uh, that I would live long enough to see the day where deep fakes could be uh, in, deployed and engaged in a political campaign, and the destructive factor that they that they present in the today's communications and messaging. 
just this month, the Biden campaign was facing a situation where someone did a deep fake of the president's voice and executed robocalls. And thankfully, the Federal Trade Commission and the Federal Election Commission got engaged in that process, and they are still major investigations underway on finding out where it originated from and the the consulting firm that did it. But it is so important. I, I am a member, I've been a member now for 30 years of the American Association of Political Consultants. And one reason that I'm a member of that association is every member of the association has to sign uh, an agreement uh, stating our values and principles. And we got to have political consultants and political operatives, campaign managers, political staff who are not willing to engage in such nefarious activities. And that if you do, you understand that you're going to feel the weight of both the federal government, trade commission, and the federal elections commission, and hopefully the uh, local United States attorney uh, from the Department of Justice, because it is not acceptable practices and it shouldn't be used. With that said, we also, and the Justice Department uh, will have a task force this year but also major platforms like TikTok and Facebook have a uh, responsibility to the American people to make sure that outside actors, whether it's North Korea, whether it's Iraq, whether it is China or Russia, that the misinformation is stopped. And I will say this, uh, Meta and Facebook have done a very good job on synthesizing uh, the data process and really making it difficult for anybody to set up a, a fake uh, Facebook page or to get information. They've shut down recently, uh, last month, I believe over 13,000 pages that were questionable in their authenticity. So I know that, that Facebook is, is really working. Uh, I, I have some friends who have worked on uh, Facebook in their legal department, and it has been a, a priority for their groups like uh, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. But it it saddens me that people are willing to, to go there with the deep fake. Uh, you know, one of the big issues that, that is being discussed, and we had Bob Orr, by the way, on the program to discuss college athletics, college athletics undergoing huge, huge problems through the NIL, the name, image, and likeness problem, the transfer portal, conference realignment, and the impact of television. And uh, everyone is saying that it's going to take congressional action. My question to you is, during this election, do you think any of the candidates are actually going to propose what they would do in the area of college? Because, as Bob Orr said on the program, he said, you know, Congress can't even do a budget for themselves. How are they going to solve, solve the uh, sports problem? Absolutely. And, and, you know, more importantly, I know everybody, you know, myself included in the group who watch, uh, I'm addicted to uh, college sports, both basketball and football. So I'm guilty of it. The larger question is how do we work to figure out to make college affordable for the regular 
you know, men and women, young men and women who are trying to go, not necessarily those who are getting paid $100,000 to go play basketball at NC State or at, at Carolina um, or at Duke. So you're right from a political standpoint. I don't know if either party or any candidate will put forward a measure to say, here's how we address it. But I believe that, that we have some smart minds in this country, and Bob Orr is one of the smartest, that we need to sit down and collectively think out how we want to go through this process. And uh, the the television industry as well, Don, because the contracts that ESPN, for example, have entered into with the SEC, I just do not see as being sustainable from a uh, – profitable standpoint because they're losing eyeballs every single day with traditional uh, hookups and and people are going to digital platforms. And, you know, I would argue, I would argue to you that when I grew up in the late 70s, when we watched a North Carolina State Carolina or a Carolina Duke basketball game on Channel 5, there were more people watching that then than there are today. And when you take people away from over-the-air coverage, it is diminishing your audience. So I don't understand the, the I don't understand the scheme with advertisers saying, oh, well, this is a better deal. Well, you've got fewer eyeballs and fewer people seeing it. So I, I'm, I'm on my soapbox and I apologize, but I just don't understand that business model. Speaking of Bob Orr, he's also uh, presently suing North Carolina on behalf of voters for fair elections. You might want to comment on that. Yeah, that's going to be a tough road to hoe with the United States Supreme Court taking the action that they have taken, saying that politics can play a role in the process. Uh, it, you know, Bob Orr is a doggone smart attorney, smart man. And so I applaud him for raising the issue. I think it's going to be a really difficult case for him to get through. I think the race concern, racial concerns of gerrymandering uh, and the dilution of one man, one vote is probably a, a broader, more successful argument. But I, I, I do say that, that Bob's argument that gerrymandering of having the politicians pick their voters versus uh, the voters picking their politicians is a valid argument. How do we get away from gerrymandering? Uh, again, smart people like Bob Orr have got to help us. So uh, his lawsuit has very valid merit uh, when it comes to a philosophical standpoint. It'll be interesting to watch the legal dynamics in the race. Well, of course, gerrymandering has... Uh found its way through uh, both political parties. And, and to their credit, both parties admit that when they were in power, the Democrats admit when they were in power, they did it. So it they, the they they really don't point their finger as much at the, the Republicans because they simply say, well, we did it too. It's a pot calling to kettle black. And listen, the Democrats absolutely perfected it in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, Don, you remember, and I remember, and anybody 60 years old or older remembers, they had multi-member districts. So that would dilute uh, the vote of the minority 
in those districts. And the Democrats had, had pushed that uh, from the 70s and 80s. It wasn't until 1991, I believe, that we looked at single, started looking at single member districts. And that effort was led by the Speaker of the House, then Dan Blue. So, you know, there are 120 members of the state house and now there are 120 member districts. So, yeah, it, it, we really do need to look at an independent commission. And I don't know if we're, we're going to be willing to go there. And the legislature, the Republican legislature has no interest in that. And of course, they're coming back to town in May. And the big issue when they come back to town, I believe the big scrap is going to be over um, the casino gaming. And and are we, you know, uh, the President Pro Tem was pushing for a casino up in Rockingham County in Leeks and uh, Eden and, and Reedsville. Um, and will we see that? There was a, there was talk about putting a casino on I-95 with the Lumbee Indians and then a casino on I-95 in Rocky Mount. And so the the fight over casino gaming in the state and using casino gaming as a means to create revenue for the state budget, as well as economic growth on job creation, is going to be absolutely intriguing as the legislature comes back. My bet at this point in time is that they will punt, that the Republicans, even after the primary, aren't going to want to touch that because it has the ability to upset the religious base within the Republican Party, the Christian coalition and uh, conservative evangelicals. But it also is going to energize your uh, liberal uh, Democrats. So I just don't see the momentum there. And so that may be an issue that trickles over to the long session this time next year uh, in the General Assembly. Brad, you've got about one minute to tell me what you think we should be looking at uh, between now and the primary and between now and the election. That's a tall task to do in one minute. Well, I think you're going to see a lot of advertising and a lot of communications. The big focus here in North Carolina probably won't be on the presidential level. The, the big focus is going to be on the governor's race on both sides of the aisle for the Democrats and the Republicans. And then the other focus is going to be on the lieutenant governor's race. Uh, those are going to be huge for both parties. And then the attorney general's race uh, with Dan Bishop on the Republican side. And in the Democrats, you've got Jeff Jackson, congressman from Charlotte versus Durham County DA, Santana DeBerry. So, uh, there are going to be spirited primaries on both sides, and we'll see how the the voters react. And do we have high turnout for the primary because we're going to be a Super Tuesday state or not? I think we'll hover right around the 40%. We will see good turnout in November. The question is going to be, will the young voters turn out in November? Great summary, and you did it ex almost exactly in a minute and, and 10 seconds, as a matter of fact. Our guest has been Brad Crone. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com, and listen to the broadcast again or share it with a friend. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he will have another guest for us again next week on this same group of stations. Till next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.